0: Log Welcome to the Kaka Champions League review show. And good evening everyone and welcome to another special edition of the Four Fire American Soccer Show as we get ready to talk about the second leg of the round of 16 in the 2023 CONCACAF Champions League. Exciting matches all over the place. Could not believe what we were watching. Could not believe what the situations were. And boy, oh boy, upsets galore. And a couple of times, twitchy bum time. But still, though, we had some excitement. We've had some uh, beautiful moments in the CONCACAF Champions League and we are going to talk about it all tonight. Um, But the one thing that I'm really upset with during this CONCACAF Champions League, it is not because of the officials by CONCACAF. It is not because of the, uh, the way the games were called. And it's not because, sure, we had maybe a, few VAR disagreements here and there. No, no, no. This is due to the fact that Fox Sports, while, sure, they are the rights holders for the majority of the CONCACAF events when it comes to the youth tournaments in the under-20s and the under-17s and the Olympic tournaments to qualify for the under 20 under 17 World Cups obviously NBC handles the Olympics and the summer games for soccer uh, the CONCACAF Gold Cup is on Fox Sports thankfully CBS has CONCACAF Nations League but once again the CONCACAF Champions League continues to be disrespected by Fox Sports. We all know that the World Baseball Classic, Major League Baseball's version of the World Cup, uh, has an exclusive deal with Fox Sports, as all the games are being shown on all properties, Fox National, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2. On Wednesday, March the 15th, we had a triple header for all of the three CONCACAF Champions League games to be seen on Fox Sports 2 with Vancouver on the road at Real España, Orlando hosting Tigres, and LAFC hosting Aluenza. With about 10 minutes to go, On the Fox Sports 2 feed, it was an amazing match. 1-0 Tigris, Orlando pressing, pushing, fighting for that equalizer. And then out of nowhere, baseball showed up because it was the World Baseball Classic. It's not even 10 o'clock at night. And Fox Sports has forced the two-channel to change to the World Baseball Classic. Why was that? Because at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, all the way in Arizona, USA Baseball National Team was taking on Columbia, and that game starts at 10 o'clock. The previous game that was on Fox Sports 1, got moved to Fox Sports 2, which was, I believe, Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. Now, listen, I'm a baseball fan. I am not trashing the World Baseball Classic. I am trashing on Fox Sports that forced a move for the World Baseball Classic, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, that was on Fox Sports 1 all night long till 10, Moved it to Fox Sports 2 without even getting to 10 o'clock at night and saying this match underneath on the ticker, they're saying that this match is now going to be on the Fox Sports app. Well, I went to the Fox Sports app, and it was also where it was Orlando City versus Tigris. It was the World Baseball Classic. Now, they did change it back. But again, the sheer disrespect that the tournament has gotten from Fox Sports. You know, anytime a Fox Soccer moment that involves the CONCACAF Champions League or even the Gold Cup is broadcasted on Fox Sports 1, you get your Fox Soccer announcers like John Strong and Stu Holden, like J.P. Della Camera and Kobe Jones. If you have your match in the CONCACAF Champions League on Fox Sports 2, you get the world feed. If you are lucky enough to have Fox Soccer Plus on your cable provider package or on the dish, you will also get the world feed. From CONCACAF. And don't get me wrong. I like Mike Watts. I think he does a brilliant job covering soccer on the world feed for CONCACAF and what he also does for USL on ESPN. But if you're supposed to be all in on soccer and you want to give it a professional level why are you not treating your property in soccer the way you treat the NFL major league baseball college sports why because fox even though they'll accept it they are not they are not putting out a proper product on the production side. And when they were finishing up their contract for the German Bundesliga, they go from a full set to a little set hunched over on chairs in front of a burning fireplace where those people who are experts in the German Bundesliga that knows it very, very well have to wear it later, Hosen, to make it look extra special. You know, it's really interesting because anytime they had the UEFA Champions League, they had the Premier League, the you know, any any of the pro leagues in Europe. And of course the World Cup, which is the holy grail of all productions. It is just unbelievable the amount of disrespect that CONCACAF has received from Fox and the amount of disrespect that MLS has received from Fox. What is the point of having these tournaments and our top division league on your broadcast linear televisions and the app what is the point of having you on having it on there when you will still not show the respect that it deserves nbc for only three years showed more respect than what fox did cbs has shown some respect to the Nations League, even though that they are broadcasting the world feed on their Paramount Plus coverage for the majority of these group stage games until you get to the semis in the final, which it will be on CBS Sports Network, CBS, and or, of course, the Paramount Plus app, but you can see how CBS shows a professional level, even during the World Cup qualifiers in CONCACAF. I am asking a colleague of mine, and yes, my college friend, Ives Kalersep, who is now the editor and a critical editorial producer. For the brand new Golazo channel through Paramount Plus and CBS Sports, when the contracts are up between CONCACAF and Fox Sports Ives, I want you to go to your producer and I want you to tell him, I think it's time for CBS to take on other CONCACAF events. Not just the Nations League, but take over the Gold Cup. Take over the Gold Cup preliminaries. Take over the CONCACAF Champions League. Take over all CONCACAF youth tournaments. It is time that Fox no longer does anything with soccer. And this is nothing against Alexi Lalas. This is not against Rob Stone. This is not against John Strong or Stu Holden. This is not against any one of the, of the production, excuse me, of, of the people who are giving you their time and their voice to broadcast these games. This is against the production level and the care of Fox Sports that continues to disappoint All of you all of you that are expecting a quality broadcast production and what are we getting we are getting crap we are getting absolute crap from Fox Sports oh sure they'll do something big with the euros they'll do something big with the Copa America They'll do something big for the World Cup. But when it comes to the other properties, they do not care. They do not care at all what you think, what I think. They don't care. And if they showed a little bit more of a care, then maybe, maybe it would get better ratings. Who knows? But the truth is is this. American soccer fans, they see right through you. They see... They see everything right through you. They can tell when you don't care. Sure, you just put it on because you got a contract. You have no choice. Yeah, we want this. We want that. But what about the care of it? It's not enough put it on. Show the care and the want. Uh what, you know, when it used to be Fox Soccer Channel and we had the right people working there to do these games whether it be from Europe and when MLS got started on Fox Soccer Channel, those people producing the game knew what they were doing. You don't know what you're doing with these, with this bunch. You don't know what you're doing right now. And unfortunately, you've disappointed me and you've disappointed the many American soccer fans for the last time. When those contracts are over and when those contracts are up, CBS... Or even NBC. I don't care. Either one of you two. Go and get. CONCACAF events. Seniors and youth tournaments. Do us all a favor. And show Fox why you two truly care. How you broadcast the game in this country. And show them why you care. How you're going to broadcast these game in North America, and in CONCACAF, because I'm telling you right now, it is a damn, damn shame that you do not know what to do, you do not know how to do it, and you don't know anymore what is going on. You're overly concerned about the big bucks, and I understand, but you know what? That doesn't mean you have to find a way to screw it all up, and that's what you've done. You screwed it all up, and it's just an absolute disgrace. Sick and tired of it? It's time for you to just take care of your business the proper way. Ladies and gentlemen, got a great show for you tonight, as always, as we're going to review all the games in the CONCACAF Champions League from those clubs in MLS and the League of MX. We start off in Orlando, where, I'll be honest, I think it was a shocker in my book. Orlando City leveled the match at 1, but unfortunately, away goals still count, and they are eliminated by Tigris in the round of 16. Joining me from the Orlando Sentinel the beat writer of Orlando city, Austin, David Austin, welcome back and tough result after, I would say an excellent first leg down in Mexico.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really tough. Um, obviously, you know, it was a win and you're in situation and 21 minutes into the game, Tigres scored and immediately because of the away goal rule, Orlando city's playing from behind needing two goals. So, once that first goal was scored by Tigres, the whole game plan kind of went out the window. Things changed a lot. And uh, it was a struggle for Orlando to really <laughs> connect passes. Um, it became better as the game wore on. And as Tigres got a little bit more tired, they, they were able to find some passages of play that actually worked out in their favor. But it um, kind of came a little bit too little too late. The goal in the 90th minute, thanks to Urchon Cara, a bicycle kick goal or an overhead kick, whatever you'd like to call it, but it kind of made for a very interesting last few minutes. Figures went to time wasting and uh, didn't didn't quite uh, work out for Orlando.
0: No, unfortunately not, and that's the sad thing. It didn't work out for Orlando. I know this is a, the club's first trip ever in international club competition, but you know, I, I think we can definitely say. Tigris throughout the entire match before the equalizer was scored by Khan, um, excuse me, by Cara. Uh, that had to be probably one of the toughest, def- you know, defending that Orlando's probably faced uh, ever since moving to MLS or at least facing, you know, top clubs in a, in a top division setting.
1: Yeah, certainly so. I mean, Tigris is one of the top spending clubs in all of CONCACAF for Basically, the last decade, you know, they they invest a lot into the product on the pitch. They are one of the best teams in Mexico and all of Concacaf, you know. Despite only, you know, recently winning the Champions League, I think in the in the COVID year actually, which was funny enough, played at Exploria Stadium in Orlando. Um, I remember being there for that one actually. But you know, they've they've uh, they're they're one of the best, and they were one of the favorites to win the tournament for a reason. And even without uh, André-Pierre Gignac. they were still able to uh, get a result, and sometimes that's the mark of a good team. But, I mean, you got to credit Orlando City. they still never lost a Champions League game in their history. Technically speaking, they may have been eliminated, but they've never lost a game. And to get two straight draws against Tigres is, is definitely no small feat.
0: No, it really isn't, and I definitely agree with you there. Um, you know, any time you can get a positive result – Uh, against one of the top sides in all of Liga MX. Uh, You're definitely doing something right, but unfortunately, uh, you know, just not scoring enough goals, uh, sadly, takes you out. Now, obviously, uh, we have to address, I guess, I wouldn't call it the elephant in the room, or the 600-pound gorilla in the room, but I think you saw it on the replay. Uh, Oscar Pereja saw it in front of him, and Orlando players were obviously objecting uh, that there was a handball in the Tigris area, uh, in second half stoppage time. And the question is, you know, was that checked? Did VAR check, uh, that moment because that could have led to at least a penalty kick opportunity for Orlando to possibly win the tie.
1: Yeah. I I never heard one way or the other in terms of, of if there was a check or not. Um, you you would assume with VAR there that they probably checked it and it probably was cleared for a, a check. Um, you know, there, there were shouts for, for multiple calls at, at one point, but I don't think Orlando really spent too much time arguing them. Um, and the fact that it kind of came and went within the moment, um, may have been one way or the other. Uh, the thing that Oscar was more upset about, I don't think he was really complaining about the handball. He was more upset about the time wasting in the final five minutes. And he he spoke to that after the game. Um, there was five minutes of added time given, and the referee blew his whistle at, at six minutes past stoppage time. Um, he has uh, a stopwatch that he has been using, Oscar Pereja, and, and he takes stock of how much time the players actually played And I think he said out of the five or the six minutes that were given, four minutes and 30 seconds were actually live ball action. And this is something he talked about in his postgame press conference. That was the thing that he was the most upset about. And he I think he said um, something along the lines of, you know, we are we are understandable, but we're not stupid uh, when it comes to those kind of things. And so uh, he was he was really upset about the fact that Tigress was able to kill the game off by basically just laying down.
0: Yep, and that's where I think the referee has to go out and he's got to take better control of the situation. I mean, up to that point, I thought the referee was actually strong in this matchup, and you know, look, if uh, that's how Oscar felt, I don't blame him, and you know, you got to got to find a way to crack down on this continuation of gamesmanship, and you know, even in a tournament like this, especially, look, we know it's not UEFA Champions League. We know it's not Libertadores in South America. But still, though, this is a this is the highest level for international club competition. It involves MLS. It involves Liga MX and all the first division leagues in Central America and the Caribbean. For sure, the referee has to find a way to extend stoppage time with all the uh, laying down and all the gamesmanship, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and that also goes into the argument, uh, I guess, with the with the away goal rule, right? I think CONCACAF uh, and the the African Confederation are the only two that are still employing the away goal rule in their major tournaments. And every other, you know, nation, every other governing body of soccer in the rest of the world have gone away with it because they realize that the, the games are much more uh, enticing and exciting when there's not an away goal rule in play. You know, it comes down to just general goals. And if that would have been in play for Orlando, it goes into penalties, and that, you know, would have been much more exciting, and, and definitely uh, gives some of the smaller teams uh, a chance in these in these tournaments. Uh, the question is, does Concacaf want to, you know, do that? And uh, we'll we'll see how the rest of this tournament plays out. But it'll definitely be a conversation on the uh, chopping block heading into next year's Champions League.
0: Absolutely. I think that's going to be uh, something for CONCACAF to consider. I really think CONCACAF is going to have to sit down um, with their fellow confederations, inquire with them how has it worked for them uh, to remove the away goals rule, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see uh, basically what's going to happen there. Um, Even though I will say this, I know that Tigris had a man sent off uh, towards the back end of uh, of the match, uh, you know, in round, just before I think stoppage time was beginning, uh, and I'm trying to remember who that was. I'm trying. To, ah, here he is. Uh, Samir Caetano got double yellowed and was sent off uh, around the start of the second half stoppage time. So in some ways, Orlando was playing with a man up. So still really really tough for that uh what did any of the players uh, tell you during the mix zone uh after the match was over
1: yeah by the time uh both coaches had come to talk uh the the most of the players had gotten out pretty quickly because obviously they were very frustrated um i'm not sure how much the broadcast showed but the the frustration did boil over to the uh to the field and then um post game as well so i think that um the, the players just kind of wanted to to get out of there for, for both teams. And um, there wasn't really much of an opportunity. We only got to talk to uh, Duncan McGuire, uh, who basically just, you know, voices uh, frustration about not being able to advance. But uh, other than that, there wasn't really too much there. Um, I will say that the Tigris coach uh, had an interesting uh, anecdote during his press conference. He talked about the, um, you know, the, the frustrations boiling over. And uh, he, he, in in a, a roundabout way, he almost called Orlando City sore losers. He's like, you know, that's that's what uh, people who don't take losses well do. And um, sounded a very interesting uh, point for his sake because, well, Orlando City didn't technically lose; they just drew. So I don't know. Just uh, it was a very interesting post game, to say the least.
0: Well at least you found a cloud in a you know you found a silver lining in a cloud, you know I mean why not
1: <laughs> yeah, something like that,
0: yeah, something like that why not um what was what was Explorer stadium like uh for the first time ever in the uh international club competition department i mean obviously you can't really uh you know compare it to i guess a world cup qualifier or at least a usa international match would be a friendly or an official competition match but how was the explore stadium during that time
1: Yeah, Explorer was was pretty bumping i honestly i think that it was pretty much sold out except for behind uh one of the goals so you you have the wall which is the the fan area for orlando city that was goal was all the Tigres fans, and uh, because of how, uh, I guess, their reputation precedes them for Tigres fans, they basically gave the entire uh, behind-the-goal, like, section to Tigres. They didn't have any other fans sitting there, and, um, you know, the thing still kind of boiled over, but there were some uh, fights some some flares thrown onto the field and whatnot, um, which was less than ideal, but uh, the rest of the stadium... I mean, when Cara scored that 90th minute goal, it, it got loud, uh, and people were very excited, uh, knowing that, you know, the situation was all you need is one. So they were, they were very loud and very uh, the atmosphere definitely helped in, in pushing for that goal.
0: Hmm. Well, all I can say is this, Austin, is that uh, if Orlando does find a way to return to the CONCACAF Champions League uh, for 2024, now with multiple Multiple uh, opportunities to get back into the Concacaf Champions League. Pereja is going to be suspended for one of the for one of those two leg games. So probably more for the first leg in the uh, first rounds, uh, the, or mm-hmm. maybe even the round of 16 if Orlando wins uh, MLS Cup. So you know that's a big uh, that's going to be a, big, a bit of a big issue in that first leg if you ever get back there next year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think the team will cross that bridge when it comes.
0: Exactly, absolutely. But uh, for yourself, though, what was that like for you to, uh, you know, finally witness a a Concacaf Champions League match where you're not facing a club from the United States?
1: Yeah, from I guess from an Orlando perspective, it was it was not the first time they've done it um, in the uh, the Campeones Cup or whatever the league's cup or whatever it was in 2020 mm-hmm. or 2021 where they played Santos Laguna. Um, they got a, a taste of playing a Mexican team. But, um, you know, this was obviously a top tier Mexican team. So it was, it was very different. Um, you know, I've I've obviously watched a lot of champions league over the years. Um, and I got to see Tigres in in that 2020 season play in Orlando against LASC. And, uh, during that kind of shortened COVID tournament that was in the bubble of Orlando, um, which was, you know, (laughs) unique. All of 2020 was unique to be fair, but, um, yeah, it was it was definitely a nice change of pace for a lot of people, and um, uh, to be able to host uh, another international team. You know, they they hosted Arsenal last year, uh, and now to be able to host another team from from Mexico's, um, just kind of building on the club profile a little bit more. And I think the hope is that just re- uh, they can continue the momentum.
0: Absolutely, but just remember, League's Cup was not a real competition. So at that time, now it will be starting this year. <laughs> so hey. I just want to point that out. It's not against you. It's not against you. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out to let you know. But listen, Austin, sorry that this road ends uh, in the round of 16. Uh, good luck with the Open Cup uh, this upcoming uh, fourth round. And all I can say is is that better luck. Hopefully you'll qualify for it next year.
1: Yep, there's the hope. There's There's ample opportunity to do so. They just got to take advantage of it
0: absolutely, they just got to take advantage of it Austin, thank you again uh, for joining me tonight and have a good night, take care now
1: of course, thanks, you too
0: thank you Austin David from the Orlando Sentinel, he is the beat writer for Orlando City at that publication so Orlando, they gave it their best tried hard to get there, unfortunately just did not work out And uh, for Orlando, they are done and dusted in this tournament. So we'll see what happens moving forward. Now just awaiting uh, my good friend Matt Ralph of uh, Philly Soccer now, covering the Philadelphia Union. They hosted Allianz FC after a scoreless draw. It was a 4-0 victory over at Subaru Park. The Union finally defeating the El Salvadorian side, everything in the second leg, 4-0, and done and dusted goes Allianz FC. Now, I have seen that club before when they did have uh, group stages in the CONCACAF Champions League, not anymore. Uh, now it's all goal aggregate, two-legged affairs with the away goals. And you just got to say that for the union, who mostly took care of business as uh, they won this match, being a man up for the rest of the way in this one, and all you can say is, is that it was a job well done for the union that was uh, a double yellow on mr alexis montes as he was shown first yellow card in the 18th minute and then a foul again just outside of his area in the 41st try to complain about it but unfortunately no can do and uh the Philadelphia Union, they go on and they basically rampage all over Allianz FC by a final of four goals to nil. And, uh, of course, it was a cross goal that was headed in by Damian Lowe in first half stoppage time to get that 1-0 lead. And then all of a sudden, with the help of VAR, Penalty converted by, who else? Daniel Gazdag. And then two big goals by Andreas Pera, both within a three-minute span in the 81st and the 84th minute. And the Philadelphia Union comfortably advances to the quarterfinals. And this, my friends, this is where you have to say, you have to say. That for the Philadelphia Union, they found a way to go out there, and they were able to get the necessary result in this matchup, in the second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League in the round of 16. So we'll just... Just got to say, excuse me, <clears throat> sorry about that, uh, just have to say for the Philadelphia Union, they've found a way to get the job done. And, and the reality is this, and nothing against El Salvadorian sides, you know, they're strong. You know, Allianz FC's FC is probably one of the sides in El Salvador in their first division. Uh, plenty of clubs out there to do, you know, damage and everything, but still though, The truth is, is that, you know, when you've got to face these clubs that you normally don't face in MLS, especially them, they're going to find a way to give you a game. And as always, there will be a lot of gamesmanship going on. But once again, it's a situation where you just can't seem to uh, break free and uh, get, you know, get a foothold. But look. Allianz FC, they they gave a game, but then everything fell apart once the uh, red card came into the match. And that, unfortunately, they just fell apart right there. So all you can say is, is that for the Philadelphia Union, they do advance into the quarterfinals. And it's going to be a huge, huge matchup for the Philadelphia Union to take on a top side in Major League Soccer. And they're going to be at the bottom end of the bracket in the quarterfinals because that will be the MLS bracket as the Union are going to take on Atlas in the quarterfinals. Uh, They will be hosting the first leg. And then they'll be on the road in Mexico uh, for the second league. So that's going to be a big, big match. Of course, Atlas is Rafael, Mar- uh, Rafael Marquez's team, the former Mexican international, former New York Red Bull defender, coming to play for, uh, for the Red Bulls for the short amount of time he had. But we all know him and as a Mexico, Mexican central defender international. So we'll just have to wait and see what the union are going to do in that moment. But other than that, ladies and gentlemen, let's just quickly go to um, once again what's going to happen. And the schedule is out, quarterfinals of the 2023 Scotiabank CONCACAF Champions League. And here is how that schedule is going to be put out. Uh, Now, we don't have the Fox Sports broadcasting schedule for the quarterfinals, but we'll find out probably sometime soon. I'll go ahead and take a look. But for the schedule, here are the first leg matchups in the quarterfinals. On Tuesday, April the 4th, Philadelphia Union will host Atlas at Subaru Park, and that's an 8 o'clock start. And then at 10 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Pacific, Club Leon of Mexico will take on Haitian side Violet AC at the Estadio Leon in Leon, Mexico. On Wednesday, April the 5th at 8 o'clock Eastern, Honduras side Motagua will take on Tigres UANL at the Estadio Olimpico Metropolitano in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. And then the Vancouver Whitecaps will be hosting LAFC over at Place in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And that will be a 10 o'clock Eastern time start, 7 o'clock start in Vancouver. And then the second leg will have three dates, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And here is that schedule. On Wednesday, April the 12th, excuse me, I'm going ahead of myself here. I apologize. On Tuesday, April the 11th, Violet AC will host Club León of Mexico at the Estadio Sabo FC in Santiago, Dominican Republic. And once again, Haiti cannot play their games. The Haitian side cannot play their games in Haiti. Apparently, the country is still not on uh, safe ground, you might say, with all the political upheaval going around and the gangs just not doing their just taking over uh, whatever territories they've taken over just absolutely a shame that they have to play their home match in the Dominican Republic but they will be playing over at the Estadio Cibao FC's stadium in Santiago Dominican Republic and then at 10.15pm Eastern 715 Pacific LAFC will be hosting the Vancouver Whitecaps at BMO Stadium in downtown Los Angeles And then on Wednesday, April the 12th at 10 o'clock Central, excuse me, Mountain, uh, Atlas of Mexico will host the Philadelphia Union at the Estadio Jalisco in Guadalajara, Mexico. And then on Thursday, April the 13th at 10 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central, excuse me, Mountain, I keep messing that up, I apologize, Uh, Tigres of Mexico will be hosting Motagua of Honduras at the Estadio Universitario in Monterrey, Mexico. Now, apparently, there is an issue uh, scheduling-wise over at BMO Field, and that is here, uh, this little thing here. It says, due to stadium availability, the first leg of the series between Los Angeles FC and Vancouver Whitecaps will be played in Vancouver, followed by the second leg in Los Angeles. The switch was agreed with both clubs. So that, my friends is the reason why, because normally, normally, LAFC would have hosted first leg naturally, but because of a scheduling problem, the first leg and second leg matchups has been reversed. So instead of having in Los Angeles in the first leg, it will be in Vancouver and then and then uh, of course the second leg will be in Los Angeles so that my friends is what is going on and hopefully we will get ourselves uh, some great semifinal matchups today and hopefully Everything will be A-OK in these matchups in the quarterfinals. Uh, It should be a lot of fun. It should be exciting. And I cannot wait, cannot wait to see what will happen when we get to those quarterfinal matchups in early April. And then the semifinals will be around the end of April, beginning of May, both legs. And that should be exciting as well. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, very soon we will be doing an involvement with CONCACAF Nations League. And mostly we'll have uh, post-match shows with the U.S. involving in their group, D the Action, in the CONCACAF Nations League. As they'll be on the road in Grenada. And then they'll return home to Orlando Florida at Explorer Stadium to take on El Salvador. And both matches will be on TNT in English, uh, Universo in Spanish. And, of course, post-match will be here live on the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. So it should be ready to go. And all you can do is this, all you can say is get ready for big time games here. And of course, let's not forget this coming Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the first round of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. You can watch some of these matches on Bleacher Report's YouTube channel, live. Join me uh, on Tuesday, and that will be on Tuesday, March 21st, for U.S. Open, excuse me, wrong date, March 28th, for U.S. Open Cup Round 1 review. Try to get those clubs that are either in USL League 2 and PSL amateurs that won their match to be on the show. So we'll see what happens, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun. And everything is going to be exciting to listen to. Well, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, Matt Ralph, it looks like uh, he uh, had a a bit of news that he had to take care of. Something came up. So hopefully we'll have him on again and uh, can say is, is that the union are on to the quarterfinals. So hopefully everything will be a-okay uh, and uh, everything was going to be fine. And we'll have Matt Ralph on uh, for the quarterfinals uh, next, next month. Uh, my next guest could not come on live tonight. Uh, he, We recorded once again, and here it is right now. Unfortunately for Austin FC, two goals in their second leg match. They defeat Violette 2-0 in the match, but lose on aggregate three goals to two to the Haitian side. Joining me from the Austin Chronicle, it is Eric Goodman through a recorded interview, and here it is right now. This is Daniel Feuerstein, welcome back to the CONCACAF Champions League Round of 16 Second League Review Show. And once again, Austin FC taking on Violet AC of Haiti. They had a great comeback, unfortunately, it fell short, and they fall to the Haitian side by a final 2-0 victory in the second leg, but lost on aggregate three goals to two. Eric Goodman of the Austin Chronicle joining me tonight. Um I, I got to say I think Josh Wolf finally got the guys playing very well. He got his starting lineup and his tactics correct. It's just not enough on the night to uh surpass Violet or at least to force penalties in this one.
2: Right, and I think everybody at this point understands um that that, that Austin, you know, made a huge mistake in in the away leg going to the Dominican Republic. Josh Wolf, we know, it kind of airs on the conservative side, and in a in a situation where I don't think you know any of us really knew what to expect down there. He really, you know, lean conservative didn't even it didn't even travel some of his uh, top players, um, but there was always this you know understanding that no matter how much you know, the deficit was that Austin had to, to overcome. The deck was just going to be so stacked against Violette uh, at Q2 Stadium that, that I mean, you look at kind of the betting odds I was looking at right before kickoff. Austin was like a minus 175 favorite to win by four or more goals, which means they they were still the favorites to advance, you know, by by a good by a good amount. Problem. Austin had is that just you know Violette you know is, has proven to just be a very solid side especially defensively and even though these players are not you know they they don't have transfer market profiles there's not a lot of uh, info or exposure that they've ever gotten they are they are a disciplined team and and they don't make a lot of mistakes except for the one uh, goalkeeping error that, that led to Austin's second goal Violette just played exactly the kind of game that they needed to and and I think. Uh, you know, unless you're an Austin fan, how can you not be just in love with with, the, with their story?
0: Exactly. And what a story it was. And when the final whistle blew, just to see their head coach celebrating uh, in the technical area was just amazing to watch. And, you know, all the things that they've had to go through to get to this point. And now extending their life into the next two matches in the quarterfinals has just been unbelievable.
2: Yeah, and you know, the, for the, for them, I mean, I was out in the press box, you know, looking, you know, my my partners who who cover you know, cover Austin with me, we're thinking like, you know, how could these these performances could could be life changing? Like these, some of these players' lives were changing before our eyes because of the exposure that they're getting. Um, you know, who's going to look? Who if you're a USL team, if if you're a Costa Rican league team, or or you know, one of the a, a team in one of these countries where there is a domestic league that is taking place, unlike in Haiti currently. You've got to look at that defensive effort, especially, and, and just think, you know, uh, get me one of those center backs that, uh, on VLN. I mean, they were just so sure-handed. They, they were so mistake-free, and they made life absolutely miserable for someone like Giazzi Zardes, who uh, couldn't even manage, you know, Austin swung in, I think it was 58 crosses. Uh, and and Giazzi has played the whole 90 minutes in that striker position, couldn't direct a single one of those crosses on target because so many of them were just being cut out uh, by Violet, and just really crowding the box. It's exactly, like I said, it's exactly the game that they would have drawn up for themselves, and they executed it beautifully.
0: No, they really did. I mean, bunkering inside their area was just really a stroke of brilliance. I I thought Drew had a great game, though. He got both goals for... Uh, Austin, I, I mean, I, once again, right place at the right time. He found ways to bury those chances, and um, once again, you know, he's proving why he was such a uh, a big time player uh, for this young Austin side, starting in MLS two three years ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously I've got some bias, not not because I'm an Austin fan myself, because I, I don't consider myself one, but obviously I'm just I'm, I'm watching every minute of Triusi's MLS career. I think he's the best player playing uh, in, in the United States and Canada right now. And I, I think that's been – I mean, obviously there are other players like Hani Mukhtar who's, who have been really effective lately. To me, Driussi is just the most consistent uh, and most lethal player. The problem for Austin is that he's the only one. And, you know, players like Emiliano Rigoni and, and uh, Giazzi Zardes are just not taking advantage of any of the chances that have, that, that that they've, you know, had uh, so far this season, and, and that's a big problem. This is an Austin team that a year ago was was putting up 5-0, 5-1 scorelines to begin the season, and, and we're just not seeing that uh, at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think it's just changes in the roster? I mean, like you said, you know, you brought over Zardes, brought over a couple other players. Is it injuries at the moment that's plaguing this roster? What, what has been the, the issues at this early moments?
2: Yeah it it's an interesting question um you know obviously ragoni has been been an issue of how how you know he hasn't he just hasn't been the kind of uh offensive force that that Austin need him to be um obviously things got you know very complex and and took took a wrong turn with uh um Basilio Dominguez last year but early in the season he was occupying that right wing spot and, and and being dangerous um Diego Fagundes has kind of come back to earth a little bit. I mean, he played an insane amount of minutes uh, last season. Um, it probably will, will play, you know, a similar workload this year. Uh, but you know, he's had a slower start this season than than in the previous two. And then in the midfield is kind of where the biggest changes have been. Um, Owen Wolf, they, you know, at 18 years old, is, is kind of the unquestioned out-and-out starter beside Driussi in the. Uh, in kind of that eight slash ten role. And I'm, I'm high on Owen Wolf, especially a, as a prospect, and, and I think he's going to be a really talented player and potentially a U.S. national team, you know, pro- prospect and fixture down the road. But right now, I don't think, you know, he's quite the, the creative force uh, and, and the constant threat that, that Austin really need him to be in that spot, and, and that's kind of has contributed to, to them struggling.
0: Mm, and that's the one thing I, I agree with you. I think that's an issue that, not to say we have to blame the son of the coach, but, you know, look, I, I, he's got to find a way to maybe improve his game uh, during the season. And, and it's unfortunate when you got to play in this tournament early in your season schedule. Unfortunately, that's how it is now here in CONCACAF. But moving on, um, VAR coming into play had a goal wiped away for... Uh, what could have been an early 1-0 lead uh, in the first half and then uh, late in that second half. Uh, it looked like that should have been a penalty for Austin, and through VAR, the uh, referee decided to wipe the, the penalty call away.
2: Yeah, and, and, you know, starting with the first one, the, the handball on Ethan Finley that, you know, I, I'm i pretty fuzzy, and I think all of us are at this point on, you know at, you know, where's the line between – Shoulder and arm and at what point are you know is illegal i I had a little bit less of a problem with with that one I think you know there is you can see on the replay the ball does hit kind of on on the sleeve of the jersey and some referees will rule that a handball um, the second one though where giazzi's artist gets you know his legs totally swept from underneath him i I, I, I just can't understand how that's not a penalty uh, and and those of us in the, you know, Wolf said he got no real explanation. Um, you know, uh, one of uh, one of my uh, colleagues in the press box, you know, reached out to ConteCat to for an explanation, you know, obviously that there's a very small chance they are ever going to hear, you know, something definitive back from that. So uh, it, that to me, and by the way, also, that that's a big complaint that Austin and the fans had about how long that review took. I mean, it was pushing six minutes uh, to look at what, Seemed to be a clear foul in the box, but, um, you know, obviously Austin could have used either of those uh, two decisions to go their way, but you got to credit Violette again for, um, you know, they, they, they took maybe a little bit of a refereeing advantage, and, and they capitalized on it, and they didn't, they didn't break down uh, in the later moments of the game.
0: No, they really did, and you just have to say, Once again, you know, if if things were different in that first leg, I I mean, I I feel like Austin should have had at least pulled back a goal, maybe get an away goal, because, you know, that was the lifeline I think they truly needed in that first leg before coming back to the Q2 uh, this past Tuesday
1: night.
2: No question. And and that, again, is kind of why, to me, I I have to imagine that these two performances, the clean sheet, that they got uh, in the Dominican Republic, and, and the yes, it's a 2 0 loss, but it's a 2 0 loss that they, you know, were over the moon to 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 get. I, I think some of these players on Violette really just, you know, shined in, in kind of their only moment to to play. It was the first competitive matches they played in nine months, uh, and you know, I think they they served as an inspiration to their country and, and, and to anyone watching, given you know where things are at in Haiti. You know, the majority of the country is, is under control of gangs, and, and there's violence, there's, there's hunger. Um, it's a human, you know, it, it's a true humanitarian crisis there. And obviously, when, when that's the case, sports is an afterthought. And so they've been an afterthought for the better part of a year. Uh, so I, it's just, you know, I was pretty, pretty moved by what, uh, what these two matches have meant to them.
0: No I agree with you and uh, we'll see what uh, they'll do in the quarterfinals but uh, I guess finally with Austin is this I mean uh, you know there's an open cup season now you got the rest of the league season leagues cup what changes do you think Josh Wolfe needs to make during this season even before you get to a summer transfer window uh, to improve the roster if you can.
2: You know, so obviously center back is still a big concern as long as Julio Cascante is out. Now, they do make it work fairly well with um, Alex Ring as playing out of position at center back, which he's done before, and and he's certainly capable of doing that, even though there's always kind of this uh, unspoken kind of understanding that I think a lot of people within Austin FC have that, that's not something Alex Ring enjoys doing by any means. He's a guy who, who does fancy himself going forward in the attack. Um, but, he, you know, he is filling a, a, a role for his team right now, which is pretty desperate for some stability in center back. Um, I think a lot of this, though, because Austin last year, uh, in their very first match in the U.S. Open Cup, uh, just drove, you know, an hour down I-35 to San Antonio, a, a USL championship team that, that, I mean, they had great success last year, but it's still a USL championship team that Austin should have beaten, and they lost that first game, uh, in, in their first U.S. Open game. It just speaks to a little bit of, you know, development that I think Josh Wolf has to do as a coach, balancing these, you know, midweek fixtures, these, these kind of auxiliary competitions, and figuring out, you know, yes, you want to maintain freshness, What's the point of entering these competitions if you're not doing everything you can to win them? And and maybe that's the lesson that Austin hopefully takes away from this.
0: Yeah, and that's the hope. And uh, we'll see what happens if they do find a way to get back into the competition uh, with the expanded CONCACAF Champions League next season. So we'll see what happens there. That's Eric Goodman of the Austin Chronicle on Austin FC's CONCACAF Champions League. Sadly coming to an end so quickly. But uh Eric, as always, thank you for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Uh anytime you want to come back on, you know you have the automatic invite. And thanks again for uh chronicling this coca calf Champions League uh, run. Unfortunately, it ends in the round of sixteen.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it, Daniel. We we did uh we did say hopefully uh, I'm not two appearances and out on this program, but uh maybe maybe next year we'll uh and, and then yeah, we'll I'll talk to you on on the show, uh, per usual. Great. Thank you. You got it. Take care.
0: And that's Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle. Once again, Austin FC falls, excuse me, on aggregate, three goals to two as uh, Violet AC out of Haiti advances to the quarterfinals as we get ready for the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Champions League at the beginning of next month in April. So, look, there's nothing you can say, there's nothing you can do. Austin gave it a run, and unfortunately it fell flat. They had opportunities. They thought they had a goal. VAR wiped it out due to an offside. Thought they should have had a penalty. VAR decided to say no, no penalty there. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen with that one. But we do know... We do know that a big club on the west coast has advanced to the quarterfinals once again, and that is L.A.F.C. And joining me from the heart of L.A.F.C. the one and only Araceli Villanueva, Araceli, I I I gotta tell you, I uh, I thought we were gonna have an issue with the L.A.F.C. I thought it was gonna be them joining. Orlando and Austin into the elimination chamber, but thankfully they survived.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one that had a slight uh, panic attack after that match. Because let's be honest, the match itself was very stressful to watch. I would have hoped IMC would have taken a more defensive approach to it, given the lead that they had already. But as we saw, and as soon as Elliot scored that second goal, you just kind of start to wonder, okay, what is going to happen here? Are they going to shift uh, directions? Are we going to see extra time? Are we going to see penalties? But thankfully, at the end of the day, uh, LA, even though LFC lost the battle, they won the war, and they advanced to the quarterfinals on uh, 4-2 to on Arrogate.
0: Yep, absolutely. And, you know, I got to say, I was really thinking about this because watching that match, and I'm thinking, okay, VAR comes in. I don't know if that was the first goal that was allowed. You know, was that a penalty? Was it a handball? VAR said, yes. Okay, it's 3-1. I have no problems with what's going on here. I really believed in LAFC's defense. I thought Terundolo maybe playing bend but don't break, but I thought they had enough. To prevent Alouenza from getting uh, a big run and at least leveling the match at three on away goals, but boy, that second goal really, really scared the pants off of everybody.
3: Oh yes, I vision early in the match. You, you could tell on Kellini's face that he conceded the handball. He admitted defeat. The penalty was given. Alahente converted. They go up, okay. Moving forward, um, looking at the roster that Sharonda Will it out was very similar to the match prior with New England. Uh, Buick, uh, Buick, excuse me, <clears throat> he was very dynamic with great runs, but unfortunately he fell short when it came to finishing. However, I have to admit, I have seen a big improvement in his uh, performance given the little time that he's had to get used to the team and um, the, our veteran players. But along with that, I mean, th- just looking at the stats, six total shots, eight shots on goal, so it kind of makes you take a step back and look of what exactly happened, what went wrong. But fortunately enough for us, Carlos Vela scores that goal in the 83rd minute, ultimately giving LAFC that sign of relief that they desperately needed.
0: No, they really did. And, um, you know, I got to say, Carlos Vela always at the right place at the right time. Of course, the last time LAFC was in the CONCACAF Champions League was during the, the redoing uh, during the pandemic. Of course, getting to the final against uh, Tigris. And uh, unfortunately, not doing well in the final. But you know, I will say a big character win in the semis against Club America. But still, though, Carlos Vela, always that ready, always there to—I wouldn't say bail out the club, but at least, you know, leading the club to the aggregate victory that was so desperately needed.
3: Oh no, not. No. Not necessarily bailed out. I do agree with you on that, but he has been known to get as I as I mentioned, he they needed, and he's always been dependable on that front. Although there has been some questionable moments given his performance, and he is known to leave the match early in most cases. But thankfully, for that night, he came. He comes up big, delivers that goal. Now they move on to the quarterfinals, and all all eyes are now looking at Vancouver of what that performance is going to look like, because unfortunately, LASC does have uh, a history of losing to Vancouver, especially during the regular season at BC Place, and just, there's definitely going to be a lot of questions moving forward. Now... There
0: has been a uh, venue date change. I understand uh, between both Vancouver and LAFC. LAFC, I believe, was supposed to uh, host the first leg, but because of a scheduling conflict. What is that scheduling conflict with LAFC at BMO Stadium?
3: Unfortunately, I can't speak too much to the conflict uh, to the schedule conflict because I, to be honest, I'm really not sure what is going on. All I can all I know is they did formally announce today that the first leg will be held in Vancouver on April 5th and on April 11th, LFC will host the second leg. But in terms of schedule conflicts, again, I I can't speak too much to that.
0: No, that's fine. Just wanted to know if you had any insights on why the schedule? Why the venue change happened, and why both sides were able to agree on making that switch. But that's okay. Look, it doesn't matter anyway. It's going to be MLS on MLS as always. <laughs> this time uh, <laughs> over the northern border. So we'll see what happens. But um, when you know, I, I mean, when when you're watching this this matchup and you're seeing. Uh, LAFC having, I mean, I thought LAFC actually had the better of the chances, even though Alalenza converted those two chances. But uh, I felt on the offensive side of the ball for uh, LAFC, I, I thought they had the better of the chances in this one. Just got so unlucky with the keeper, so unlucky with the woodwork. I mean, you're thinking to yourself, why will that ball not go in?
3: No, as I mentioned earlier, if you look at the statistics, LASC dominated on possession, although it was uh, equals for both sides. If there was 26 total shots, eight shots on goal. Uh, again, just t- trying to look at the stats, it does make you wonder, why did that ball not go in? The only – I don't know if you want to blame fatigue, given how many matches LESC had played in the last two weeks, if that played a role in it in any sense. But on the flip side of it, again, Buick, uh, Buick I I keep saying Buick. My apologies. <laughs> Buick had a very dynamic performance. And even going into this match, there was a lot of high hopes in terms of not only Buick's performance, but even Tillman had a brilliant performance in the prior match, opening his MLS scoring account. Um, Ilya Sanchez has been our constant along with Acosta and Seafood in the midfield. A performance was a bit lackluster, which was surprising. Again, I don't know if you want to contribute that to fatigue that the team has been feeling lately, but given all of that, I, I mean, really, it's, it is a question of why we we shouldn't we should have been up, if not by one goal by two goals. But hey, at the end of the day, they got the job done. Moving on, and thankfully, after their match with Seattle tomorrow, they do get a rest period. It sounds like you want a new car.
0: If you want a Buick.
3: <laughs> it's buke name. No, it's slide I, I know. I know. <laughs> I
0: know. I know. You- you're looking for a new car. You want the life of luxury. You're the one of the best uh, LaFC reporters out there. Why not? You go ahead and you do. You are No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. Um, I, I, I think uh, Timothy Tillman, Malik's brother, obviously from Glasgow Rangers. Uh, I, you know, he really looks comfortable. In what uh, Torundolo is trying to uh, get him to do out there, I don't know if he's a full time starter now, um, coming back to MLS from Europe. But still, though, um, I, I like I like Timothy Tillman's game out there for LAFC and, and what he tries to do to establish himself on the offensive side of the ball.
3: I think it's fair to say that Timothy is establishing himself uh, fairly well, given the short amount of time. We're, we're still very early in the season in terms of him becoming a starter i know he did start two games um i believe we kind of you know touched on this last week and even then you know i admitted i couldn't speak too much to his performance because he had played a limited minute but now seeing how he's performed in the last two matches you know as i said he opened his mls scoring account he he was dominating possession and he's definitely been stoned and i would i definitely do have high hopes for him as the season progresses
0: mm-hmm. no absolutely uh georgia chiellini the only gentleman uh on lafc to be booked all night i like to think it's more of a clean a clean game for lafc uh you know fine one booking but that doesn't mean anything to me um, granted, you know, no one's being suspended in any of the legs in the quarterfinals, so that's always a good thing. And once again, as we've already said, it was Carlos Vela that converts in the 83rd minute uh, to advance. Uh, so foreshadowing going into this quarterfinal tie with Vancouver, uh, what besides them giving LAFC a history of trouble, especially at BC Place, why do you think BC Place is such a tough place to play for an opponent?
3: I think BC Place is kind of like any other stadium. It, it They have home field advantage, and especially with the encouragement from the fans. And, of course, you know, Va- Vancouver's dynamic alone. Like the Whitecaps, if you look at their previous match, you have seen how they even advanced to the quarterfinals. Quarter they dominated in their first game. I believe it was a four to zero, a win. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But
0: mm-hmm.
3: it, given the history of both teams, it is going to be very interesting. And unfortunately, LSC is always kind of on the losing side of that history. But you never know in these matches. Also too, Very Kirk. true. And actually, we don't like turf. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it was a five-nil victory actually in the first leg over Real España. Oh, but you know what? I, I mean. But yeah. But but I think I, I think you would agree with me on this because when you get to a two-leg competition like the Concacaf Champions League is, and even though we still have the away goals rule in the Concacaf Champions League, if you, if LaFC can nick one or two that's enough for them to stay in the tie if they do lose the match. So I think that's very important in that first leg. Make sure you score enough goals to keep yourself in the tie. And so when they do go back home in the second leg, that you can have an advantage, uh, you know, against Vancouver moving into the semifinals, if you are able to get that far.
3: Oh, I absolutely agree with you. Any. time it comes to the CPL and you have a two-legged match, we want to have that dominant performance in the first leg. As we saw with LAFC and Alohenze, they went down to Costa Rica, got the 3-0 win, came back to Los Angeles in a, I don't want to necessarily say a comfortable position, but for lack of better words, they, they were in a very comfortable league. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know if not playing defensively was in talks with among the team in any sense. But we we saw right there, it really could have gone either way. And once that anxiety hits, it's like, but again, they pulled off the win. and now moving on to Vancouver, we can only hope that not necessarily that history repeats itself, but they do get at least uh, a few goals on the score sheet.
0: Absolutely, and we'll see what happens when uh, you and the Whitecaps, or shall I say LAFC and the Whitecaps, they do uh, tango uh, for that quarterfinal matchup. Araceli, as always, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I'll speak to you soon uh, during the quarterfinals review show, and congratulations on advancing in the
3: tournament. Thank you for having me on and to discuss LAFC, and I look forward to discussing the next legs. Like.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Our Villanueva from the heart of LAFC as she joins me to review the Round of 16 matchup aggregate victory over Aluenza of Costa Rica. Join me right now from the away from the numbers website. It's Michael McCool on the Vancouver Whitecaps. Michael, welcome back. Um, I mean, nothing really much to explain too much. I mean, Vancouver did what they had to do. They had the aggregate lead at five at home. And, I mean, in reality, just Nick one or two in, and uh, you're done for the rest of the day.
4: Yeah, the the second leg after that first one was, was going to be a formality. It gave Vanny Sartini the chance to rotate the roster. He left five guys at home, five key guys that have played and started in MLS. He gave them the chance to avoid the trip altogether, got a chance to blood some young guys as starters, and a couple of guys made debuts, even a couple of call-ups from their Whitecaps to MLS next Pro Team. So a defeat on the, the day in the tie, but a, a very comfortable win. And I think a, a lot of lessons can be, be learned from it as well from a Vancouver aspect.
0: I agree, and why not? It's a teachable moment, and you know what? When you are well ahead, especially in two-leg tournaments like the CONCACAF Champions League or the UEFA Champions League or the Libertadores, however have you, I mean, you know, that much of an aggregate lead, why not bleed in some brand new players?
4: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This uh, They got a chance to do it in the first leg as well. So there's a couple of guys now who made their Whitecaps debut very tough place to to go and play and this is a season where Vanni Sartini has wanted to run with a, a smaller squad and he's going to use MLS, Knicks, Pro Whitecaps 2 as a, a tool for these games, the Canadian Championship, to call up some of the young guys, give them an MLS call up. Two of the guys that were called up from that are actually still called up and able to play in the L.A. Galaxy game as well at the weekend because it was like a four-day loan. So all in all, it's a a win-win situation for him.
0: No, very true. It really was. And I think he absolutely stuck to his tactics, and he really did an awesome job, in my opinion. He did an excellent job of uh, keeping things simple and moving forward. But let me ask you this, though. Even though we... We, both and I, we, both you and I, we can agree on that he had a comfortable aggregate lead, but those opening 45 minutes, I, I mean, you really don't want to give any hope to Real Espana to allow them to believe that they nick one or two early that they're going to give you a game and then everything is, you know, really going to be up in the air and you don't really want to have that type of situation down in Honduras.
4: No. And, I mean, we saw in the first leg, the first 10 minutes, Real España came out very strong. They actually could have got two goals in the opening 10 minutes in the first leg, which would have made a very different tie, and you wouldn't have seen the guys left at home, etc., etc. This one as well, the Honduran side came out strong. They've seen what I think anyone that's watched the Whitecaps this year has seen which is they simply cannot defend crosses into the box, especially at set pieces. And they were all over the place, not just in the first half, but throughout the whole game. But I think Thomas Asal came up with a a few big saves in that first 45 minutes, six he registered in that first half. That was his first start of the season as well, so a good confidence booster for him. But if he had not been on top form, if... Real España had got a couple of goals, as you say, Daniel, that could have been a, a very tough and trying second half, because if you give a team in this competition momentum when they've got a crowd behind them and you're in hostile territory, I mean, we've seen it with some of the, the other games in this round, it's like teams can just go on and they've got a spring in their step and they, they can cause some shocks.
0: Absolutely, and I completely agree with you, Michael. Uh, And, you know, I have to say, uh, with Hassell and Goal, he really impressed me how he uh, positioned himself in the area. Uh, He really commanded that net very well in the first half. I thought, really, all the goals that were scored against him were not really his fault. Don't blame him at all in the second half. But, you know, how much confidence does uh, Santini have with both of his goalkeepers in uh, Takaoka and he's
4: Last year, he, he made Thomas Hassel the number one. As soon as Max Kripal left for LAFC, it was announced he's the number one keeper. He's the guy that we're going to go with. Now, I didn't like that because they made it clear they were looking for another keeper to come in. So right away, that keeper's like, well, I'm clearly not going to be the starter. Why would I want to come here? and we maybe didn't get the best backup option we could. Now, this year, he's basically brought in Takaoka. He said he's the number one, so Hassal has dropped to this number two, not even that he's competing for the starting thing. So a young keeper like Hassal, who's got a very bright future ahead of him, he needs to do well in these games. And I I genuinely thought he would have got the start in both of the legs. I, I thought, it's a, a comfortable team, he's a good keeper, Well. Claim in both of those, but they gave Takaoka the start in that first leg, and I think that's telling that pretty much is going to get the majority of the starts. But Hasal performed some great saves and some good goalkeeping and heroics in that game. He's put himself in the picture, because it hasn't been an absolutely fantastic start from Takaoka to the MLS season. He's very slow sometimes at coming out. He's not dealing with some balls in the high corners because he's quite a short keeper. So, I mean, if Thomas Vassal can put in these performances, I imagine he'll get the start in the Canadian Championship Games as well. He could have a, a challenge on his hands, and that's what you want. For a young keeper, you want them to be biting at the heels of the number one and maybe take that position down the line.
0: Very true, very, very true. And we'll see what happens in this quarter uh, quarterfinal matchup, of course. That's coming up beginning of April as uh, your side will be taking on LAFC. You're very used to them in MLS play, so we'll get to them in just a moment. Um, if I can just throw this at you, uh, what has Santini done, probably outdone the past head coaches that Vancouver's had? I mean, obviously, uh, Robinson. Uh, Mark DeSantos. What has he done more for Vancouver than maybe what the other managers have done in the past?
4: He seemed to capture, at at vital times, lightning in a bottle almost. He's got some momentum going. In 2021, the Whitecaps looked down and out. Sartini came in, and it looked like they, they had no hope of getting to the playoffs, and then they just went on an incredible run. Partly helped by the fact that they could finally play at home in Vancouver because of all the border restrictions, but it's it's momentum. When this team is on a roll and they're playing well and they're getting results, he seems to he's he's very infectious. If you've ever watched him talk, if you've watched some of the the videos of his like halftime team talks or locker room chats, and if you haven't, I highly recommend everyone does. They're so entertaining. He's just—he's got that enthusiasm that you—you you listen to him and you want to play for him. Mark Desantis is a guy that I'd known for about ten years before he even came to Vancouver. I really like Mark. I think he's a great coach. He didn't really get the backing in terms of money spent on players, but at the same time, you could also maybe question his recruitment. But the key thing for Vanni Sartini now is. There's a proper recruitment department in Vancouver. They've got scouts all over. They've got a a really good overall recruiter in Nikos Overhuel. Vanny just identifies the kind of player he wants, and they go out and find that player. Whereas Mark DeSantis, Kyle Robinson, they have to do all that themselves. So that has really helped him. There's still a lot of flaws, though, with Vanny Sartini in that he seems to want to change players' positions when you maybe don't need to do that. He's maybe slow to react when things aren't working. He admitted that last year when he went three at the back and everyone knew it wasn't working and said you need to change to four, and he eventually did. This year, he's persistent in playing zonal marking. It's really not working, but they are going to look to evaluate that. So he's learning. And I think he's a coach that wants to learn. He's a coach that's keen to make a mark because this is his first proper coaching gig. And I think just all of that combined has just led to sometimes he can get great performances out of this side.
0: Very true. And I think uh, would you say watching rest of MLS? And I don't know if you have been watching like other club social media posts or videos through YouTube. But would you compare him to someone to, say, maybe Jesse Marsh?
4: Oh, no, that's, that's an interesting one. I, I don't know. I mean, Vanny's unlike a lot of coaches that I've kind of seen around MLS. But, yeah, I mean, Jesse Marsh is a guy that can have people believing in him. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm trying to think of a couple of the other ones down the, the line. Like, I mean, Caleb Porter's done that before. Like he seems to be able to get mm-hmm. people that believes in him as well, but Vanny, he, he has that enthusiasm, and I remember at the end of 2021 when Pat Onstad was appointed at Houston Dynamo, Pat actually highlighted Vanny as the kind of personality that he wanted to be the next head coach because he feels you needed that spark in the locker room, and that, that's what Vanny does bring. Right, right.
0: Well, look, You know, just thought I'd throw that out there. Maybe something, uh, I mean, to me, it sounds similar uh, with Santini to me about, you know, the way that he manages his club. And, you know, I just thought maybe that would be a good comparison or not. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, And now as we move forward here, uh, a quarterfinal tilt with LAFC. Uh, my last guest, who does cover LAFC, was informing me how BC Place is just a nightmarish place for visiting teams to come in and play. And LAFC has had uh, issues playing against the Whitecaps uh, in, in uh, recent history. Of course, why has Vancouver been so so successful against them?
4: I think part of it is the pitch. It's an absolutely horrible pitch. It's it's not quite as bad as maybe the old New England Revolution pitch, but it, it's not a good pitch. It's very hard. I've been on it. I've played on it myself. And teams just don't like coming here. You get weird bounces. It can be quite a cavernous stadium as well because it holds 60,000. So it depends if they've got tarps and stuff. And I think the travel as well. Sometimes Vancouver's not the easiest place for, for teams to come to. LAFC have struggled here which is interesting because the Whitecaps have really struggled down there and they've been on the wrong end of some very heavy defeats. But the last couple of times Vancouver's gone down there, closed the gap, they've taken points, they've they've got better down in LA, but LA haven't found a way to get better here in Vancouver. And I like having this first leg at home. We weren't meant to, it's just a scheduling clash at the stadium means that things have been switched around. Now, in the past, I've always wanted to be my teams in the second leg at home, but this competition is sometimes made for the away teams, that if you know that you have to go and get a goal on the road to completely change the tie, as we saw this week with a few teams, I quite like being on the road in the second leg. I think Vancouver have shown that they can score down there, and it's all really going to be a case, I think, of what LA do up here. If if Whitecaps can keep them off the, the score sheet, as your previous guest was saying, they kind of want to get a couple of goals, if they can go down, even just with a 1-0 lead, I fancy them to score in L.A., and then it's up to L.A. to see what they do down there. Very true.
0: I mean, you know, I've seen pictures and videos of uh, British Columbia, Victoria, Vancouver. Um, is there altitude in Vancouver that I'm not aware of?
4: No, uh, I mean if you go up the mountains, that there is, but no, this is it's down yes. at sea level. It's it's just a little oh. bit up from um, the the river that runs through the city. So I mean, oh. no, I mean, it's it's nothing like that. The, it has a roof that can be open or closed, and that mm-hmm. does sometimes dictate how it feels inside the stadium. So, for example, I see. Okay, it, it's been really cold for the games to start the year whether they just haven't put the heating on deliberately or what, it's been absolutely freezing in that stadium. And that affected Real Espana. They had guys that were fatigued and they were struggling with the cold. Now, you're not going to have the same kind of impact with LAFC, but you can you can play twice a season. At, say LAFC came up twice a season, and you'll have a different feel in that venue, depending on if the roof's open cold, time of year, stuff like that.
0: Right. Right. Well, look. At least that solves that uh, question for me, and we'll see what happens if Vancouver can solve that question against LAFC in the quarterfinals. Uh, Michael, as always, thank you very much. Hope to talk to you again in the quarterfinal review shows and the rest of the season in MLS for the Whitecaps. You
4: take care. I'll talk to you soon. You too, Daniel. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yes, sir. Michael McCool from Away from the Numbers, covering the Vancouver Whitecaps as they move on to the quarterfinals. Now joining me uh covering all the Liga MX teams for FMF State of Mind, the one only Eugene Rupinski joins me and Eugene. We have some okay. We, we knew some results that were going to happen for some of these Liga MX sides. One result that ended in firecrackers and fireworks and one that we just scratched our heads and we could not believe what the hell just happened. <laughs> I think they might have been one and the same. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I couldn't believe it. I want to go to the the first game I want to go to actually. I want to go to the Pachuca Motagua matchup because I could not believe what I saw that ended that one. Uh, I mean, what the hell happened? A 1-1 draw. <laughs> at Pachuca's home stadium and Motagua advances on the away goal. I could not believe they scored the away goal. Not saying okay, all these Central American clubs or the Caribbean clubs are going to basically, you know, lie down and take it and they don't care. I I didn't even think they were going to at least get a goal and they just snuck that one in.
5: Yeah, no, it was wild. I was I was watching and I I didn't think Pachuca was playing all that well, and they scored. I'm like, okay, they got it right. Like they got away with this one. They, they didn't play that well, but they they got their goal. Um, you know, because they got it in like the 80th minute, 83rd minute. Like it was it was past 80 minutes, and I was like, all right, we're good now. And uh, yeah, the penalty happened. Matagua uh, evened it up. They got the away goal. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh my goodness," um, you know. But look, it Pachuca Pachuca should have been a much better team. And I, I think you know you and I are on the same page. We don't want to we don't want to discount the, the Central American clubs. We don't want to talk down uh, about them and their abilities in that. Um, but Pachuca is a much better team in this. I mean, they they you know. They've been one of the better teams since Almada came on board in, in, in the league. And to see them not perform over 180 minutes was just really disheartening. Um, you know, it wasn't just the fact that they only they, only, they got the goal late uh, in the second game and then Matagua scored. It's, they had 180 minutes to do much better, and they just didn't, you know. So hats off to Matagua. They, they kind of deserved to – to go on. I thought they I thought they played well. I thought they you know they, they played defensively. It wasn't any secret that they were going to try and grind one out and get a you know get an away goal or, or take its penalties or something. Um you know, so I think that they executed on their plan uh very well and I, I think Pachuca just they that they fell flat.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I just think that when, when you got I mean especially the manager, I mean as you said amada i mean he must have felt helpless i'm assuming all of the substitution windows were already expired he couldn't make another substitution towards the back end and you know he was probably thinking i have this all the way and next thing you know that happened
5: <laughs> yeah i mean and it was it was funny watching him on the sidelines he's a very animated coach even under the best of circumstances <laughs> even if Pachuca's is up 3 to nothing and you know he's still very animated very um, very, you know, lots of lots of yapping um, with the refs and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, no, he had, he had used his third used his third sub uh, by you know the 75th minute when he brought in Aviles Hurtado. Um, I thought that was a good move. I thought that they were really kind of um, missing in in the attack. And Hurtado has always been that kind of energy guy. I know he's getting a little little older, but he's, he's an energy guy. He's a he's a guy that's really gonna Pushed the length of the field, and I thought that was a good move um but yeah they they just kind of they ran out of uh they ran out of stuff they couldn't do anything and um you know that was that was that
0: mhm yep, and uh, Motagua advances, and uh, Pachuca is done and dusted. Let's move on now. well, I think Leon finally was listening to us, I think they <laughs> finally started to get it. They finally found a way to win their second leg. I know they were home, but still, though. I I mean, they finally were able to put something together to beat Taro 2-0 and advance on aggregate 3-0, all goals in the first half, obviously. So finally, Club Leon will now advance into the quarterfinals.
5: Yeah, I thought they looked a lot more comfortable than they did in the first game. You know, obviously we we talked on the last uh, show about how the home field advantage there in, in Leyland is pretty, pretty big. Um, they definitely looked a lot more comfortable. Dalro just kind of looked overmatched, um, you know, and really kind of after that first goal went in the, the Brian Rubio goal and I think it was like the 26th minute or something. Uh, you kind of knew that that was, that was really it for Dalro. I mean, the, the, the gap that they were going to have to overcome was just going to be too much. So, um, you know, Leon kind of did what they had to do. Uh, so, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if they can, they, you know, how far they can take this.
0: No, very true. Um, Brian Rubio in the 26th minute made it one nil to two nil uh, on aggregate, and then uh, Elise Hernandez in first half stoppage time made it two nil in the match, three nil on aggregate, and really Taro. Nothing at all. I know they tried their best, but still, though, it just I thought Club León finally, tr- finally showing they're no longer the little brother of Liga MX teams. Every time they qualify for this <laughs> tournament, there, Eugene, they're no longer yeah. the little brother now. It's about time. Yeah, well, they, they, <laughs> they, they
5: they they may be the middle brother now. They still they still have a little bit to go before they 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 get the same kind of uh, I guess um, fearsome reputation. Um, that uh, that some of the other clubs will have, uh, but yeah, no, it, it's it's good to see them kind of get that that um, you know get over that hump, and uh, you know honestly, hats uh, off to I thought that they gave a good account of themselves. Um, you know they they were I thought they were overmatched, but um, you know they they went out and and played with pride and played with heart, and you know uh, maybe on another night it would have been a different story, but you know it, it was it was Leon's night, and uh, we'll we'll see how they we'll see how they do.
0: Moving on now, Uh, Atlas obviously took the 4-1 loss down in Honduras as an insult, and they turned that insult into revenge, and they put four past Olympia to knock them out, uh, winning it on aggregate 5-4. Yeah, we we
5: talked we talked on the last show. I said, you know, I didn't think it was out of the realm of possibility. I wasn't predicting that it was happening. I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I, I was like, Oh, I was right. That I totally called that. Uh, you know, I said it wasn't outside the realm of possibility and uh, you know, they, they, they made good. You know, I, I knew that they were going to get some goals uh, being at home. I knew that it was uh, you know, when you have that, those fans behind you in that stadium, um, pretty much anything's possible. And to see that kind of come to fruition was really cool. You know, I, I feel bad for Olympia, um, but, you know, Atlas really was was, uh, was the better team.
0: No, I agree with you. And look, anytime you can play any of these opponents in this tournament at home and you have a definite home field advantage, I mean, you're going to use it to the best of your abilities. And that's what Atlas did. But I will say this. I really think... I I really think that getting the away goal in Honduras really benefited them because I don't – I mean, look, they probably could have put five. I mean, if they didn't score down there in the first leg, they probably would have put five past Olympia and avoided the penalties. But I just believe that away goal really helped them prepare for that second leg.
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, after Aldo Rocha's goal in the 77th – they looked, they looked more relaxed. They didn't like take their foot off the gas, but they looked. You could tell that they were like, okay, like we're in a good place now. Um, you know, they were really fighting for for that first, uh, you know, three quarters of the match uh, to to get it um, back, you know, level, and then having that away goal be the tiebreaker. Um, you know they 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 kind of were able to breathe a sigh of relief and kind of go about the game in a different way. I thought you you know you, you saw them play well. Um, you know the subs down the, the stretch too were really good. They took off uh, uh, Julio Fortune and, and Brian Lozano for Jose Beja and uh, Edgar Zaldívar. Uh, Beja is like a like a fullback and Zaldívar is more like a like a defensive mid kind of player. Um, so you know they were kind of bunkering at that point, which. You know, you can you can do that when you have uh, you know the the advantage of an away goal. So, you um, know, mm-hmm. I thought it was a, I thought it was a smart game. I thought it was a, a well fought game. Um, you know, like you said, that 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 away goal in Honduras proved to be really, really, really massive.
0: No, it really, really is. And I just gotta say that. Uh, like we've already said before, uh, you know, Atlas was definitely going to make a comeback. I don't think there was any doubt. It's just depending on how many goals they are going to convert. And they just basically blew uh, Olympia out of the water. And as we've already said, that away goal down in Honduras in the First Lake really, really helped them. But uh, now we go to the fireworks. And the, uh, <laughs> we got we got tons of fireworks in Central Florida, and they're not coming from the Magic Kingdom either, Eugene, no. not coming from Disney World at all. It came from Explora Stadium. Um, before we even get to this score, I mean, you guessed right. Um, Andre Pierre Ginoc did not come with the club due to the, uh, shall we say, the vaccine situation. Uh Parentheses, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they really, they, they really didn't need him. I mean, all they had to do was nick a goal, and they basically uh, defended all night long.
5: Yeah, i I thought I thought he would have been a welcome addition uh, to 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 the team. I thought it would have made their their jobs that much easier. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, not having Geniak certainly hurts. Um, you know, having not having a player of that caliber. And of that quality, just that you know, there's, there's no two ways around it that hurts. Um, but it, it, you know, they they played well. I thought both teams, uh, really played well. Um, and uh, getting that early goal was, was pretty crucial. Um, you know, uh, because they had, you know, uh, as, yeah, uh, you know, getting that, getting that early goal was, was 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 big. Um, you know, I thought uh, Orlando. Getting the goal at the end was kind of fortunate for them, but um, yeah, just, uh, just too much, too much tigres.
0: Absolutely, um, you know that opening goal by Sebastian Cordova. I mean, I, I just think I'm, I'm not doubting how he scored it, obviously, because he's that good. If he's not that good, then he's not on the on the club at all. But still, though, um, I thought the one touch. And then the smash was really, really unbelievable how he beat Galési low and just inside that near post to make it one nil. I thought that was a clinical, fantastic finish.
5: Yeah, he's a, he's a special player. I mean, Gallese is good. Um, you know, I've I've watched him back when he was Derek Cruz back in his Liga Mekis days and um, you know, I, I enjoyed him. I always thought he was, was, was a special goalkeeper, but uh, that quarterback strike, man, that was that was something else, and that's just kind of kind of what he does. <laughs> you know, he is he yeah. is that good. He is uh, he is a, definitely a player uh, to to watch over the, the the coming weeks, months, and years.
0: Yeah, he ripped absolutely, and then of course uh, two moments. Obviously, one you weren't happy to see it, but eventually was bound to happen. Uh, Erkan Kara. Uh, on the final minute of regulation uh, putting it into the net to make it 1-1 on the bike uh, but I mean that that handball I mean do you think that was a handball? Do you think it was correct no. that VAR did not review it? Do you think it should have been reviewed? I, I mean I like an honest opinion you know
5: um, Yeah so do I think it was a handball? No, no. It, it hit him square in the chest um, do I think they should have okay. reviewed it? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm I'm of the camp where if there's ever any doubt, review it. You know, uh, there, there's not there's no harm. Everybody everybody seems to complain when the referee goes over to check something out, but I would much rather that than for something pretty egregious to be missed. In this case, they got it right. Um, you know, the ball hit uh, the Steelers player square in the chest. Ne- for me, that's never a handball. Um, so. You know, I would like to have seen them um, review it uh, just to, to kind of make sure, just so there was no kind of uh, controversy, um, you know, not, well, <laughs> there, there will always be controversy. Who am I kidding? Uh, but, you know, just so there would be less controversy, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, no, I, 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 I would have liked to see them review it, but I, I think even if they had reviewed it, the call would have been the same. It hit the Tigers players square in the chest, which is not a handball.
0: That's very true. That's very, very true. So, uh, the correct call. Now, unfortunately, Samir Caetano will be suspended for that first leg in the quarterfinals. He got double yellow in this match and put Tigres down to 10 men. Uh, How important on the back line is Caetano? Or do you think that they have enough players to fill in for him uh, to defend in that first leg?
5: I think they've got enough. Uh, you know he's 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 pretty you know he I'm not gonna say he's he's not important at all but um, you know Tigres, Tigres is Tigres look they've 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 got they've got the squad they've got you know I don't know like you know uh, they're they're deep they don't have to you know they can lose a guy like Samir they can like, lose a guy like Gignac, um, you know and and they're gonna be okay. Um, you know, it's obviously one of those situations where you, you would rather them be out there, uh, but they're deep enough where that's not going to be an issue, you know, and he's only going to miss the one game on, on the suspension. So, um, you know, he'll be, he'll be back for the second leg and, uh, you know, even if, even if the, the, the person, you know, whoever they choose to, to replace them kind of comes in and doesn't do that well, you know, he'll be, he'll be back and, and they'll still have an opportunity in the second leg.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Before I let you go, I want to ask you a question if you don't mind, because as you know, we're going to go to a brand new uh, CONCACAF Champions League in 2024. Uh, Everything's all brand new. There's now adding uh, that round one. And instead of having four teams Coming into the CONCACAF Champions League, there's going to be six teams. Five of the six will be in the opening round. The top team, either the Apertura or Klausura champion, uh, will go to the round of 16, whoever is the best team out of the two champion uh, seasons. Um, And then you're going to have the uh, runners-up and then the two next best clubs. Uh, Is this... Do you think this is what Liga MX has been asking for as well since CONCACAF has made these changes for next year?
5: Um, you know, I think they have to be happy with it. I think, you know, you always want to put your best teams forward and, um, you know, and, and kind of take some of the guesswork out of it, right? And it, gives, it gives teams, uh, you know, kind of the knowledge of what they have to do in order in order to, to, go, to go forward into continental championships. Right. So, um, I don't know. I think some change is good. I'm interested to see how it kind of plays out, Uh, you know, just because you you don't know until you actually run through it to to see kind of what happens. You know, maybe somebody gets lucky and and, and kind of backdoors their way in and and you're just like, what are they doing here? It's kind of like uh, last year when Pumas made it all. I'm like, I'm a Pumas fan. I'm just like, they, they shouldn't be there. They're, they they do not deserve to be where they are. Yet here we are. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, I, I hope it's I hope it's a good move. I you know I'm I'm all for more clubs getting the opportunity to kind of prove themselves in continental play. I love continental play. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. I'm excited for it.
0: And obviously, of course, with the new Leagues Cup now, another additional three spots, and we'll see if it's going to be all from League MX, two of the three from League MX, or one of the three from League MX, we'll find out. But, um, you know, I've been poo-pooing, and I'll admit it, I'm not happy Leagues Cup is considered an official tournament now, because CONCACAF has decided to. Uh, give those three spots to the League's Cup. I, I I feel it's a fake trophy. I feel it's a fake competition. I don't know how you feel, but whatever your thoughts are, I'll gladly hear it. But if you want to give these extra three spots, say, let's just say for the heck of it, U.S. Open Cup runners-up, uh, maybe even Canadian champion runner-up, and maybe you give one to the Copa Mexico champion. I think that would have been a lot better than to do it through this way. And what's your thoughts on that?
5: Ooh, I, you know, I, I, I can see, I can see the benefit of, of the way that you kind of want to see it in the way that it is now. Um, and I honestly don't know which would be the better way. I think what is good and has been necessary is putting rewards into these tournaments, right? Nobody cared about League Cup the first time around because you don't win anything, right? Um, yep. And yep. you know it's it's like okay, well, you know who, who who won? Who cares? They didn't. You know all you got was like a trophy. Now there's something on the line. Now there is a spot in continental play on the line. That changes things, right? Like that you may not care about uh, some, some trophy that, you know, doesn't really mean a whole bunch, but you'll care about the chance to go to continental play, you know, especially if I'm a team that's, you know, maybe not doing so well in, in my league, right. Whether it's Liga Mekis, whether it's uh, NLS, maybe I'm a team that's just, I'm not doing too well. I'm not going to win the supporter shield. I'm not going to, you know, I, I may not make the, the, the playoffs, you know, in in the league in Mexico, but if I can like kind of get in here and, you know, that might be my ticket to, to, I can win the league's cup, you know, or or place well enough in the league's cup where I could then get a, a a spot in continental competition. But then that kind of goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, do they really deserve to be there? Um, You know, so I don't know. I, I like that. There's something to play for. I like that there's skin in the game now. Um, whether it's the best system, ah, man, I don't know. I like, I like that they're trying things though. I like that things are kind of more open and, um, that countries, uh, clubs from different countries are going to have to fight for the same spots. And I've always, I never really liked the fact that if a Canadian team won MLS, they wouldn't get the berth. They could only get into the Canadian, uh, championship, whatever the Voyageurs cup or whatever they're calling it now. Um, I always thought that was kind uh-huh. of whack, right? Like, if you win the league, you, you should get the spot. Uh, so to see some kind of cooperation between the three countries who are in this tournament to, to kind of say, okay, well, if somebody does well enough, we're going to give them a spot. I think, that's, I think that's cool. I think that's necessary because, you know, you have two countries, three countries, you know, we'll have, uh, and, you know with, with two, per, two top-tier leagues um, that are really kind of vying for this um and i don't know it's cool i like i like to see this sort of um cooperation as well as um jockeying for for things right (laughs) um right there can be uh, there can be cooperation and competition at the same time and it 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 can benefit everybody it'll benefit clubs in mexico it'll benefit clubs in the u.s it'll benefit clubs in canada too so uh, i'm I'm all for it very true
0: no, I hope so. We'll see what happens. I don't know if it'll change or not, but we'll see what happens, and uh, we'll see what happens in the quarterfinals, of course, in this current edition of the CONCACAF Champions League. Eugene, thank you very much for your time. Love to have you back on at the beginning of April, and uh, thank you, as always, for joining me tonight.
5: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank thank you for having Thank you for coming on, as well. Eugene Rapinski, FMF, FMF State of Mind, S V Nation, as we talk about the League MX Club's in the CONCACAF Champions League. I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank Austin David, Eric Goodman, um Araceli Villanueva, Michael McCool, and Eugene Repinsky. Join me on Monday for another regular Four Year Fire American Soccer Show as we talk about the final group stage matches in the CONCACAF Nations League with Johnson Slate of PodCACAF the world of conquer- Once again, my name is Daniel Forrester. Thank for you. Thank you for listening to me tonight. As always, please enjoy your football. Take care, so long, and bye-bye for now.